This is episode 381 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles, the Clad X simulation shows we are not ready. Here's how a pandemic virus could kill 900 million people and small town and rural looting. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook. The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. It's time to finally advance your preparedness goals, get the ebook, and join the forums. Go to microbiz.biz for more information or come on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com or click the link in the show notes. Hey, so let's go ahead and jump into our first article of the podcast. It comes to us from theorganicprepper.com. And again, the article is entitled The Clad 6 Assimilation Shows We Are Not Ready. Here's how a pandemic virus could kill 900 million people. So this might be interesting, so take a listen. Earlier this summer, the John Hopkins Center for Health Security met in Washington, D.C. with experts who have experience in the prevention of pandemic and roles in government to discuss CLAD-X, a virus with the potential to kill 900 million people. Business Insider reports, quote, the committee to advise the president first met approximately one month after the virus first appeared. There had been more than 400 cases and 50 deaths so far, mostly split between Frankfurt, Germany, and Caracas, Venezuela. Patients presented with fever, cough, and confusion. And a disturbing number of cases, encephalitis, swelling in the brain, caused patients to fall into a potentially fatal coma. Researchers have been able to isolate what appeared to be a new pathogen, a disease-causing agent. The virus seemed to be a new type of parainfluenza virus from a family of respiratory viruses that normally cause mild illnesses like the cold. Scientists studying the disease couldn't identify where the virus fit into the parainfluenza family, so they referred to the pathogen as parainfluenza clad X. Health authorities said CLAD-X, which appeared to spread by coughing and to take up to a week before patients started showing severe symptoms, had pandemic potential. The situation described here is fictional. End quote. The situation above is a simulation by John Hopkins University. They wanted to see how policy experts and the government would react in the event of a virus run amok. The players included people with real-world experience in making similar decisions. Tom Daschle, former Senate Majority Leader, Susan Brooks, current member of Congress, Julie Gerberding, former CDC Director, Jeffrey Smith, a former CIA Legal Counsel, Tara O'Toole, former Undersecretary at DHS, Margaret Hamburg, former Commissioner of the FDA, Jamie Gorlick, former Deputy Attorney General, Jim Talent, former U.S. Representative and Senator, and John Bellinger, former legal advisor to the U.S. State Department and the National Security Council. Over the course of the simulation, John Hopkins demonstrated the case which a new virus could kill 150 million people within a year. But the creator of the exercise told Business Insider in an interview that he believes that number is low 
and that the real tally could be closer to 900 million deaths. So what is the CLAD-X virus? Luckily, CLAD-X doesn't exist, but according to experts, it could. In fact, it was specifically created by Dr. Eric Toner to be as realistic as possible. The imaginary virus is moderately contagious and moderately lethal, and there are no effective medical countermeasures. There is no vaccine for it because it was bioengineered and deliberately released by a cult. The CLAD-X virus that Toner and colleagues used in the simulation was only moderately contagious and moderately lethal. It spread as easily and was about as deadly as SARS, which infected more than 8,000 between 2002 and 2003, killing about 10% of those infected. The world was lucky SARS wasn't worse. That virus wasn't particularly contagious until people were already very sick. As a result, it spread more in healthcare settings once patients had landed in clinics and hospitals. That limited the spread of SARS in broader public spaces. There's also evidence it mutated to become less virulent. SARS was stopped, but there was a great deal of luck involved, according to Toner. So that was a, a quote there. Although the virus in the simulation was man-made, Toner says that the response to this isn't any necessarily different than what we'd be dealing with in the event of a pathogen that emerged naturally. The simulation, which took a year to create, went like this. Quote, the model assumes that the first cases of CLAD-X in the world are the results of deliberate attacks in the cities of Caracas, Venezuela, and Frankfurt, Germany. The numbers of people infected by the attack in each of these cities is 50 and 60, respectively. Because victims of a deliberate biological release may be exposed to a larger dose of infectious pathogens and those infected naturally, the proportion of index cases hospitalized is around 80%. In contrast, the proportion of cases hospitalized among naturally acquired infections is 50%. The case fatality risk, CFR, among hospitalized patients for most of the affected cities is 20%. However, the CFR was inflated to 50% for Caracas to reflect the degradation of the healthcare and public health systems. Following the two initial attacks, 300 of the largest cities in the world were stochastically seeded with infectious cases over time to represent disease spread through international travel. The rate at which new cities were added to the model grows exponentially, much like the growth of the epidemic itself. The number of imported cases ranged from 1 to 7 for each city. In order to capture greater geographic fidelity, a separate model pipeline was created for the United States using the same model structure described above. The towns of Bethesda, Maryland, and Brookshire, Massachusetts were seeded in accordance with the exercise storyline. In addition, 300 of the largest cities and towns in the United States were seeded randomly. As with the global model, the rate at which new cities were added to the model grows exponentially." End quote. After the initial deliberate infection, the disease spread person to person, primarily by coughing. Half of the people infected required intensive care hospitalization, and 20% of the people infected died. The outbreak was hastened by travel, the military, and a foreign exchange student in the simulation. The players debated these policies. Inadequate global health security, lack of sufficient U.S. capacity for isolation, transportation, and care of highly infectious patients, 
The decisions about whether and how to conduct large-scale screening, monitoring, and quarantine of potential exposed individuals. The complex, often limited, and sometimes unclear lines of U.S. government authority with regard to public health and medical response resulting from the U.S. federal system of government and the nearly entirely private healthcare system. The complicated and sometimes competing interest of international relations, U.S. foreign policy, military strategy, and health security, and the challenge inherent in medical countermeasure development, manufacture, and dispensing in a crisis. So what John Hopkins concluded? Well, basically, as we learned when two cases of Ebola effectively shut down a hospital in Texas, we are not ready for a deadly pandemic. Hospitals would collapse under the pressure of such a deadly disease, and effective vaccines simply can't be created quickly enough to quell the death toll. Quote, 20 months after the start of the outbreak, there were 150 million dead around the globe and 50 to 20 million deaths in the U.S. alone. With no vaccine for the illness yet ready, the death toll would have been expected to climb, end quote. They offered the following recommendations to prevent such a death toll. All right, guys, so listen up carefully. These are the recommendations. Number one, develop capability to produce new vaccines and drugs for novel pathogens within months, not years. Number two, pioneer a strong and sustainable global health security system. So what does that mean right there? Pioneering a strong and sustainable global health security system. All right. I'll leave that to your imagination. Number three, build a robust, highly capable national public health system that can manage the challenge of pandemic response. Number four, develop a national plan to effectively harness all U.S. healthcare assets in a catastrophic pandemic. So what does that mean, right? Harness all U.S. US healthcare assets. Number five, implement an international strategy for addressing research that increase pandemic risk. And number six, ensure the national security community. Although the exercise demonstrated how 150 million people could succumb to the illness, the conclusion, according to Toner, is that a disease like this could kill 900 million people or more than 10% of the world's population. One thing is certain, the medical system is not prepared for something like clad X. So from a prepper's perspective, with a virulent illness like clad X, the number one way to prevent infection is social distancing. As I wrote during the Ebola scare, the safest choice is to go into lockdown with your family for as long as a threat looms. Pandemic preparedness is lacking in most of our preps, but as the threat of bioterrorism increases, the need to get prepared for this becomes more urgent. Here's a brief article on the topic, and here's the best book I've seen for dealing with the myriad of terrifying possibilities. So there's some links here. And then there's also reference material here to the CLADX model summary, the CLADX executive summary, implications for national policy, improving policy to prepare for a pandemic, and then the article from Business Insider. As you would imagine, you know, being over at the organic prepper and then just the, the whole... Um, you know, some of the recommendations from from what this uh, foundation found uh, or what John Hopkins found, you know, there's there's comments in the comment section. People are like saying, hey, what you know, what what could this mean? And, and all of that kind of stuff. So 
you know, if a pandemic was to hit, you know that your rights uh, are going to, I mean, with all the, the confusion and the way that people are going to be, you know, scared and, and freaking out a little bit, on top of all that, you're going to have, you know, rights taken away because they're going to try to isolate the pandemic you now when it's out of control. But that means that, you know, uh, the way that things have operated are not always or are not going to be the same. And so there's a lot of things to consider in something like that. You know, a lot of people say that it's not uh, if something like this is to happen, it's when it happens. And just, you know, the way that uh, there's travel and the way that people move around the world today, something like this can can move very, very quickly. And so, uh, again, I always talk about, you know, being aware and uh, being on top of what, you know, what you hear out there. And this is another one of those reasons. Again, we don't live in fear and we don't, you know, cower in our houses or anything like that. But, you know, we need to stay aware of what is going on in our world and be paying attention to a bunch of different things. So anyway, again, guys, that's over at theorganicprepper.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And then if you're interested in pandemics and and uh, getting prepared for that, there are some articles here that you might want to, or some resources and links you might want to check out. All right, so our second article comes to us from timgamble.com. And this one is entitled Small Town and Rural Looting. And so this is very important and uh, one of the things to consider as well, uh, kind of moving from uh, like a pandemic situation into, you know, full SHTF. You know, how would people respond when they run out of uh, supplies, when they're not going to the stores, when trucks aren't running anymore? You know, what exactly would it look like? And so Tim has some uh, insight into this. I just wanted to share it with you. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. We know that big cities and major urban centers will likely experience large-scale riots and looting during and after a political or economic collapse or other major SHTF event. The looting will likely spread to the suburbs immediately surrounding these areas as people become desperate and attempt to flee the cities. But what about small towns and rural areas well away from the larger cities? Will they be safe from riots and looting? My answer is yes and no. Let me explain. Yes, small towns and rural areas well away from large cities will be relatively safe from large-scale riots and looting of the big cities. Looters will not spread out of the cities very far. They won't be able to because 1. Gasoline supplies will disappear within the first 24 hours of a major SHTF event and will not be replenished. Number two, looters are not preppers and haven't stored any extra gas or even topped off their tanks, severely limiting how far they can drive away from the city. Number three, roadways will quickly become undrivable anyway as vehicles break down and run out of gas, clogging up the roadways. Number four, most modern Americans are overweight, unhealthy, and out of shape, therefore will be unable to hike out of the cities very far. And number five, Most who try to leave the cities on foot will die of violence, heart attacks, heat strokes, dehydration, etc. No, just because you happen to live in a small town or rural area far away from a big city and therefore insulated from what is happening in the cities doesn't mean you will be completely safe. You will still have three areas of concern. So the first area is a few city folks. Although the vast majority of the rioters and looters will be stuck in the cities for the reasons given above, a handful of particularly lucky or resourceful individuals will make it out and they will be desperate and dangerous. 
Fortunately, there won't be many of them, so you should be able to defend against them. That is, if you and your group or community have planned ahead for such a defense. See the book Retreat Security and Small Unit Tactics by David Cobbler and Mark Goodwin for more information. Another area of concern would be a few local folks. Yes, a few local folks may become problems for the community. There are always a few bad apples in any community who will try to take advantage of any simulation that presents itself. And there will be others, good folks who just aren't prepared, that will eventually turn to looting and other crimes out of desperation. Think ahead about what, if any, help or charity you will be willing to give friends and neighbors and how best to do so. You may be interested in my articles on post-collapse charity. You also may need to prepare yourself for the possibility of having to defend yourself and your property from someone you know should things become really desperate. And another area of concern is local government and law enforcement. In a true long-term crisis situation, local authorities, well-intentioned or not, may attempt to confiscate food and supplies for redistribution within the community. They will have a long list of reasonable-sounding excuses for doing so. We'll have the backing for any local media that may still be operating, and we'll have the overwhelming support of the locals in need because they weren't prepared for a crisis. Having government take over people's stuff and give it to you is very popular these days. You need to decide now to what extent you will cooperate with or resist such efforts, and if you plan to resist, how. Options include pretending to be among those in need, are your supplies well hidden, turning over a token amount of food and supplies, again, are the rest of your supplies well hidden, or physically resisting when they come to your home to inspect it for supplies you have hoarded. If you choose the last option, are you prepared for a gun battle with the local authorities who will be at least as well armed and well trained as you and your group and probably more so? Preppers concerned about a major SHTF event need to think through these issues, making plans and preparations now rather than wait until it's too late. All right, so one point that, that I'd like to maybe not agree so much with here uh, with Tim is the local government and law enforcement, not so much that they, they couldn't be capable of confiscating, just that they probably wouldn't have the numbers. So there's some uh, counties out in, in Texas that, um, you know, they cover wide ranges of, of areas that they have like four police officers, right? Or four deputies that cover it. Or maybe even even at that, maybe like six deputies. And so you're going to have the same issues with them. They have a, you know, a wide range of, uh, of land to cover, right? And they're going to have, they are going to probably have like gasoline and things like that, uh, maybe at their station that they can use to, uh, to fill up. But Let's just say that they go out confiscating and, you know, six, six of the, you know, they have six officers uh, in a county, which is going to be rare. But let's just say they have six, um, you know, one person is probably going to have to stay back to protect what is going on at the, you know, at, at, at uh, the office and make sure that people don't break in and steal their extra guns and ammo and stuff and gas and all that kind of stuff that they have there. And so that takes five 
deputies out there and then covering the whole you know area that they have to cover and then going you know confiscating uh from from individual families and people like that so i just don't know how that would uh i don't know how that would work you know again in areas where the communities are really big and or the counties are really big and there's a lot to cover um you know eventually they're going to run out of gas you know if, if the situation is that trucks aren't moving and they don't have uh gas you know gas isn't replenishing um or or trucks aren't replenishing uh the gas tanks like at the sheriff's department and different things like that they you know they're going to have the same issues and so uh you know that won't last very long at all and so anyway that's uh that's just my take on that and uh, of course they can always you know go you know in different different situations and even if trucks were running and you know gasoline supplies were um were replenishing you know gas stations and things like that they're going to send that to the cities they're not going to go to the rural areas first and they're not going to you know go that way so uh that's just my two cents there um who knows exactly how things would play out um, but yeah, you know, there are a lot of things to consider. Another thing to consider right now, if you are not living at your rural location is you can easily get broken into and people can, you know, steal items and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, you, there are pros and cons all the way around. And so you really got to think through what you're doing and how you're, uh, you know, how you're, you're, uh, approaching, uh, you know, what your, your plans, and it's just going to be so important. So, guys, that's over at timgamble.com. And, again, the article is entitled Small Town and Rural Looting. Uh, I'm going to add that one as well. I'm going to link it in the show notes. And so you can go take a look at that one, too. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 381. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.